as you know, uh, Pastor Don and Jacob, Pastors Don and Jacob, have been speaking about trauma, and we're continuing that today. All the broken pieces. So, this is in my way. Um, in 2017 and 2018, I began to learn a lot about trauma at work. I work at a girls' residential facility. They do foster care, independent living, and also um, human trafficking. Uh, we began at the agency, we began to do a, what they called a cultural change. And so that started us learning about trauma. So we looked at our own trauma first in one kind of training. And then in the second training, we looked at how to treat trauma in others and how to best facilitate their healing and growth. Like everyone else in the world, and it really is true, everyone else has experienced trauma at some point in their life whether it be small or big. Um, I have experienced trauma. So, I mean, trauma can be like a car accident that was really scary. <laughs> That's a good example. <laughs> it can also be, you know, um, abuse, neglect as a child. Most of my trauma focuses on my relationship with my father. And one of the things I learned at work was about ACEs. ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. So there are 10 ACEs in three categories. Under abuse, we have physical, emotional, and sexual. Neglect, we have physical neglect, emotional neglect. And then household dysfunction, mental mental illness of, you know, either yourself or a family member, um, incarcerated relative, substance abuse, a mother that's treated violently, and divorce. So there's like a short quiz that you can take to determine how many of these affect you that, or that you've been affected by. I've personally experienced three um, so, yeah, it's kind of surprising to me, but I've experienced three. And so then, based on the number of ACEs, like what your ACEs score is, and what you've experienced, there's a greater chance that certain behavior or physical and mental health issues are going to be an issue for you. So... Um, you can have a problem with not, no physical activity. I definitely have that problem. <laughs> um, smoking, alcoholism, drug use, missed work. You can have severe obesity, diabetes, depression, suicide attempts, STDs, heart disease, cancer. We can't figure out why cancer looks like a candy cane. <laughs> stroke, CP COPD, and broken bones. So this research study they did 
which was primarily like middle-aged white people from, um, you know, like their middle-income type people, uh, they discovered that more than half of the respondents reported at least one ace. One-fourth reported two or more. And the study found a graded relationship between the number of categories of childhood exposure and each of the adult health risk behaviors and diseases that were studied. So that means that the more ACEs, ACE, the bigger your ACE score, the more chance you have of getting these and having them be a greater problem, which makes sense. To me, this study was like mind-blowing because I do struggle with some of these things, and I didn't realize that it was because of stuff that I've gone through. To me, that was really eye-opening. Like, wow, I'm not like just broken for no reason. There's stuff. There's stuff that I need to deal with. Uh-oh. Hold on. <laughs> okay, so people who have experienced four or more childhood categories of childhood exposure, exposure compared to those that had experienced none. So, like, if you have a score of four versus someone who has a zero, the person with four had a four to 12-fold increased health risk for alcoholism, drug abuse, depression, and suicide attempt. Four to 12 times the risk factor. This is mind-blowing. They had a two to four-fold increase in smoking, poor self-rated health, uh, greater than quite a large, like greater than 50 partners, if you know what I mean, <laughs> and sexually transmitted disease. And they had a 1.4 to 1.6-fold increase in physical inactivity and severe obesity. It's just mind-blowing, like, what trauma does to a person. And, if, and, and to me, it's even more surprising because this study was done with people who you would think, I mean, they'd gone to college. You'd think that they were all right, you know? I can only imagine if the study had been done with people who, who have to fight like racial issues, you know, who have to like fight harder in life for things, who've been in poverty and that sort of thing. So, basically, the higher your A score, the more chance you have of having more of these problems. So personally, I've been working on forgiveness and learning to be okay with my issues, with my father and other issues, for years. I began to believe that my pain was caused by my thoughts. It was kind of a slow process, but I started to notice a pattern of getting upset about something, um, you know, something mild happening or big, and then I would start feeling pain. And then once I felt the pain, I like, my brain would just like focus on it. And that's 
all I could think about, and it just became all-consuming, and I was just like one big ball of pain, and it's not fun. For the past few years, I've been dealing with a lot of, of pain because of that. I kind of feel like the past few years have been a blur of pain, fatigue, depression, and a sense of just not being enough. You know, I mean, when you're kind of in that place, a dark place, you, you know, I have a family. I just felt like I'm not, I'm not enough for them. Obviously, I'm not doing enough. When I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I thought it would get better because at least I knew what was wrong. You know, I mean, hey, I can fight this. The problem with fibromyalgia is that they say it doesn't get better. It only gets worse. So knowing that I had fibromyalgia just made it worse. It made it so much worse. So I sunk into a deeper depression, and I gained anxiety to go along with it, which was a new thing for me. So for work, um, I was at one agency, and the agency I work at now, like, basically bought our location of the first agency. So we were in the process of moving everything to the new agency. And it was very stressful for me, and it was during a time of deep, dark depression. And I ended up in, the in a mental hospital when I told my supervisor that I would rather die than have to wait another week to switch to the new agency. It was like this long process, and they kept giving us a date and then changing it, and giving us a new date and then changing it. And the stress, the, like the anticipation, the un, not knowing what was going on was killing me inside. Like, I felt like I had to pack everything up by myself. I, I just lost it. I was like, I would, I would rather die than do this. And so I ended up in the mental hospital. She didn't make me go there. I went home. I tried to get some help outside of a mental hospital and wasn't able to because it's like the weekend and I didn't have anyone I normally went to. So I ended up just going to the hospital and, and saying, you know, I, I need help. And that was the best thing I ever did, honestly. Because then I had a blissful week in the hospital. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about money, which was a big issue at the time. I didn't have to worry about bills. I didn't have to worry about the huge change at work because it was happening while I was in the hospital. And when I went back, I was gonna be at the new agency and I was gonna miss all that. And while I was slightly disappointed that I could not vote in the Clinton-Trump election, I also didn't have to worry about it because there was nothing I could do. I was in the mental hospital. So, it was nice. It was like the best week ever. And I came out, I was refreshed. I was like, I was happy, like I hadn't been in months. People at the new agency was, where I work now, they were like, she is like the bomb, so happy, you know, like, they liked me. <laughs> but of course, as time went on, that time of peace faded away. I mean, that's kind of what happens. Like, you try to keep that sense of calm. You even 
you know, you're asking God for help, you're leaning on God, but, but over time, it can fade. You don't have that experience like fresh in your mind. So I was back to being frustrated and even angry at God. Why did, I have to do, why did I have to endure all this? Why had I struggled since I was like 17 with depression and fear? Why had I changed so much in those years to the point of not knowing who I was anymore? And then added to that fibromyalgia. I watched my dad struggle with many diagnoses as I grew up. He was very sick. He had been diagnosed with gout, arthritis, and fibromyalgia, among other things. So I knew what his life was like, and I was just positive that I was gonna end up like him. He died at 47 of a heart attack, and I began to count down the years I had until my death. I just, I thought, I'm not gonna make it any longer than him. There's no way, I'm the same as him. I'm sick like him, so I got till I've, I, I've got till I'm 47, and then that's it, which of course, makes you more depressed. Like, obviously, I don't want to die. I have kids. I want to be there for them. I want to see them graduate twice, maybe, three times, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever it takes. Foster wants to graduate four times. So, you know, I want to be there for that. And I want to be there for marriages and grandkids. I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to be like my dad. But at that time, I could only see like slight moments of light and to guide me out. And so I would get like a little closer, but I couldn't like, I couldn't break free. I couldn't see the light through the haze of everything going on. It was just like blocking out all the light. The light was there. God was there. I just, I had all this stuff going on. <sighs> So about nine months ago, I heard about a doctor that deals with pain, with people who deal with chronic pain. Uh, his name is Dr. Howard Schubiner, and he's director of Mind Body Medicine Center at Providence Hospital in Southfield. And he's written this book, Unlearn Your Pain, a 28-day process to reprogram your brain. I'm, I'm not one of those people, like, it's taking way longer than 28 days. <laughs> way longer. Like I said, nine months ago. <laughs> okay, and I'm still working on it. <laughs> At first, his ideas may seem a little far-fetched as I explain them. But for me, God has been leading me down the path to this, the same idea of what he's talking about. Even if I didn't understand all the details, God led me there. He led me to this doctor. He led me to this process. So to explain MBA, uh, my, he, he, he talks about mind-body syndrome. And to explain mind-body syndrome, I'm gonna tell you a story that he told me. So there was a man, he'd been in a war, and there was a helicopter overhead, and he got shot at the same time like in his leg, and his friend got injured too. So that was traumatic, but he healed, and his friend, I don't know what happened to his friend, but um, he had healed, he was fine, no more pain, no 
like mental issues that he was aware of, you know? Until one day, he's walking down the street and he hears a helicopter overhead. And all of a sudden, his leg hurts like, like nobody's business. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with his leg. <laughs> you know, he there's nothing wrong. It just, that incident made his brain remember that he had been hurt before. And he heard that helicopter and his brain said, danger, danger. You need to do something. You need to do something. So it sent pain signals to his leg. There's nothing wrong with him. As he worked through his trauma with Dr. Schubiner, the pain eventually stopped. So Dr. This is all a little, um, I don't know what the word is. What? Meta? I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> but, uh, detailed and, but, but I will get to the point, <laughs> okay? Just bear with me. So Dr. John Jerome is a pain psychologist and he wrote a book review on Dr. Schubner's book. So he wrote, the author's implied goal is to educate the public and physicians about mind-body syndrome. The term the author uses for pain stemming from unresolved emotions. His premise is that MBS is caused by unresolved emotions and it's usually necessary to resolve them to get better. Unresolved emotions include depression, hopelessness, helplessness, fear, anxiety, and stress from unresolved conflicts, as well as childhood traumas and other problems. An individual's personality traits affect how he or she responds to stress. The author notes that the mind has twisted your body into pain to avoid unconscious conflicts, and the mind can be retrained to respond in adaptive ways to reduce suffering. The MBS model is squarely focused on emotionally induced pain disorders, an area that is not yet well understood. So, I'm gonna wait on that quote. <laughs> the whole thing with MBS is that your brain says danger and it sends out pain signals and your body kind of gets used to the pain signals and like as the brain keeps sending the pain signals, then these pathways are forged and reinforced. And so you just have more and more pain. And the idea is that you need to work through that. Like you need to work through each emotional issue. <clears throat> so if, so Dr. Schubner says that if an individual has not been helped by either traditional no, if you have been suffering, sorry, if you've been suffering for some time, if your doctors haven't been able to adequately explain why you have so much pain, if your only options are injections or pain medicines, then you are likely to have MBS. Basically, he's saying, if you go to the doctor and the doctor can't figure out what you have, like fibromyalgia, that is a diagnosis, but it's a diagnosis of, I don't know what's going on. You know, they don't, they don't understand it. They just know you have pain everywhere and that it's related to nerves. So they called it fibromyalgia. 
but there's no actual tissue damage and they don't understand it. Same with like IBS. They don't, they don't understand what causes IBS. These things are like, they're things that could be caused by emotional stress, that conflict that you have to work through. What I've learned is that my, my brain is doing its job. It's sending out signals saying, danger, danger, because it thinks I'm in danger. And I have to retrain it to be calm, collected, like, I'm okay. So I do this by journaling, meditating, completing writing exercises, and talking to my brain. So recently, I've been experiencing a lot of back pain. And I went to see Dr. Schubner, and I'm like, I, I've tried everything you've told me to try. I, like, I, just, I keep waking up in the middle of the night in pain. And he told me that I need to do, I need to just like go over the issue that I'm having, like if I'm stressed about work, whatever issue that is. And I talk to, like I talk out loud. I have a conversation with the person that I have an issue with. It sounds crazy, but this is what I do. So I talk, and I, and I get really mad if that's what I need to do. Because the idea is to release the emotions. So at work, you can't yell at your boss, obviously. Like, you don't want to get fired. But this way, I can, I can let out my emotions, and then I can let them go. So... Usually, what happens is that I have all this ugliness, I'm like angry, I'm upset. Maybe I feel a little guilt for being angry, that angry or whatever, and I ball up all those emotions after I'm done like getting them out. And I always imagine myself like giving them to God, like, here you go, God. Here's my ugly bundle of emotions. And then, and then I imagine that he turns it into this beautiful mist, and it rains back down on me, but also the person I'm upset with. So, like, obviously that person needs some love too, right? I mean, especially if they're doing, like, ugly things to, to other people or whatever. So I just, like, I imagine this beautiful mist, and it just settles back on me and whoever, God, Isaiah 61 says, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I feel like that's what I am imagining, like God's turning it into joy. And then I say to my brain, you know, this is happening at night, I'm dealing with all this, and then I say, brain, <laughs> you're safe, I'm okay, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just going to go to bed. Nothing's going to happen. I'm just going to be sleeping. So I appreciate you doing your job, but I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> and it sounds crazy, but it helps. It really helps. Like, usually if I do the whole process, sometimes I fall asleep before I, like, actually get through the whole process, which is not good. <laughs> but if I do the whole process, then I either don't wake up or 
I wake up and I can go right back to sleep, even with the pain. So my brain is, is really calmer. So I also speak to myself out loud in general, like whether it's like I'm, I'm saying, good job, Elaine, or I am healthy, I'm strong, you know, to remind myself that there's nothing wrong with me. There's really nothing wrong with me. I just, my brain is just kind of chaotic because I have some trauma issues, but that can be worked through. And we can retrain ourselves and, and our community to combat ACEs. Chris found this picture. It looks like the, it, it's, it's just to illustrate, you know, you're talking to your brain. <laughs> Are you saying the right things? Is what, uh, uh, we read a book about Dave Williams last night in the library, and he was asking that. So of course you wanted to say the right things to your brain. I want to like talk about community just for a moment, and then Chris is going to bring it home. <laughs> These aces, the scores, the people in the community, they all have this trauma, and we don't know what it is, but everybody has trauma, and we know that it's there. And there are certain things that we can do to help that trauma. So here are four things that have been shown to be helpful for someone with trauma. One positive, stable adult that the person's had a connection with, whether it's a five-minute connection or a five-year connection, obviously. If it's a longer connection, that's even better. But even just a few moments with someone where you connect like really connect with them, and that they can look back on that time and say, somebody cared for me. You know, somebody cared, even if it was only a little bit. Somebody cared, and I matter. A faith, hope, and or cultural community. We fit the bill. <laughs> so let's use that to our advantage. Opportunities to strengthen self-regulation. So self-regulation means that you can control your emotions based on the demands of a situation. So, you know, kids aren't very good at self-regulation because they're growing up. They, they have to learn it. But sometimes adults have issues with it, too. Sometimes teenagers. So we can give opportunities for self-regulation by teaching and modeling spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting. These are things that always help you to self-regulate. You know, you're looking to God and, and God helps you with that process. And as you have these disciplines, then you become more disciplined in every area of your life. And finally, a feeling of efficacy and control. So efficacy is the ability to produce a desired result. So a great example of us as a church fulfilling this is joy to the D. We gave parents the ability to come and choose a gift for their 
child, individualized. So they had a choice, they had control over it, so that they could then create an individualized experience, Christmas experience at their home. So we gave them a, the ability to have this efficacy and control in their own way. If we just like said, line up, we're just gonna give you a present, then they did, you know, it's not the, great, it's a present, but it might not have fit the kid, and what good is that? So if we, we can keep doing community things like that, then we can help people with trauma to come out. <laughs> One of the concerns that we kind of had as we were talking about this back and forth was that this idea of talking to trauma and speaking to trauma in order to, to uh, alleviate it almost kind of sounds like a name it and claim it and uh, kind of a, a thing where you are, you know, manifesting your desires and, and uh, we don't want you to get that impression. There's a good theological underpinning for all of this and it comes to this, this Hebrew idea of kol Yahweh, which is the speaking voice of God. Now remember, God created the world, created the cosmos by speaking. It was the Kol Yahweh that, that rumbled out into the universe. Um, you picture like, like C.S. Lewis in, in the Chronicles of Narnia of, of Aslan singing over everything. That was the voice of God. And the voice of God doesn't stop. It hasn't stopped speaking. The Kol Yahweh rumbles through eternity. Continues as we listen. We can hear God speak. The Kol Yahweh declares, it creates, and it sustains reality. It's the very self-revelation of God. As a related term, the Deber Yahweh, which is the word of God. So you have the speaking voice of God and what it says, the word. Which is revealed in God, in, in, in most fully in Jesus Christ. And, and we have the self-revelation of God. So that's one of the things. It's, it's declaring reality and the ultimate reality is who God is. And so there is that self-revelation of God that God has been communicating to you and it continues to communicate to you from time uh, immemorial, yeah, all the way back to before creation. He has been speaking to you about who God is and about what reality is. So what does the voice of God sound like? We have a number of uh, indications from Scripture. One it, the uh, Psalm 29 is all about the Kol Yahweh. It's repeated so many times in, in this chapter. It says, the voice of the Lord, the Kol Yahweh is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. 
He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. So you get this image of the voice of the Lord as being this thundering, powerful, uh, resounding trumpet of a, a, a shout of, of victory. It could sound like an earthquake. It could sound like a thunder. You think about when, um, when Jesus prayed before uh, bringing Lazarus, he, he, Lazarus forth, he, God responds to him. And says, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. And, and the people around said, it thundered. The people at the, the Mount Sinai, they, they, they said, who can hear the voice of the Lord and live? Because it was like an earthquake. So there is the, the powerful image of, of this voice that rumbles and, and, and is in the storm. But you remember also like the, the experience of, of Elijah in the cave where the thunder and the storm pass by and God is not there, but he is in the still small voice, in the whisper. So the voice of God resonates in the heavy vibrations of thunder. It resonates in the still small voice that maybe we can only hear in the depths of our hearts. And like I said, now think again about this. The Kol Yahweh is, is speaking reality. It is saying what is real even when we don't see it. There is this deep reality that might be hidden by our trauma. It might be hidden by what's been going on in our worlds. But we can respond to the Kol Yahweh. And there is a prophetic response that we say again what the Kol Yahweh is saying. That's what the prophets would do. They would declare, thus says the Lord, right? They have heard the Kol Yahweh and they are telling you, telling the people what they heard. So the prophetic response repeats what he hears from the Kol Yahweh. So like in Elaine's experience, we can hear the voice of God and repeat it to our brain. We can repeat it to our body and our circumstances. We can, we can declare the reality of things like the fact that we live in a God-bathed universe and that we are completely safe in God's hands. We can declare reality like God has already dealt with our pain and our sickness by declaring, by my stripes you are healed. So as we hear the, the reality of God being spoken, we can declare that back in agreement and, and retrain our bodies and our minds to respond to that reality. It's a matter of entering into the kingdom of God, into what God is already doing and where God already reigns. Uh, I was reading an old, old book I found downstairs in the library of a, a woman who was an evangelist and a healer. Uh, had a healing ministry, was going around. She, she wrote, she gave this example. It's like if there was a person in prison who had asked for a pardon, right? And the jailer comes and, and the jailer says, I have here in my hand the pardon for your, uh, to release you from jail. And he unlocks the door and opens it and takes off his, his handcuffs and says, you're free now. And, and the, the 
pardoned prisoner says, I am still in a prison cell. And the, the jailer's like, but you're, you're free, you can go. And he's like, but I look around and all I see is, is jail walls. The, the, the jailer's like, don't you believe the, the, the words in, the, in, this, in this pardon? Don't you believe that you're, you're actually free? And he says, no, I believe all the words. In the, I believe it's a real pardon. I just, I just look around at my circumstances and it doesn't look like I'm free. He's like, you have to act at it. You have to come with me out of this prison cell now and act on your pardon. And, and that, I wonder how many times our, our sickness and our, we may be experiencing the healing of God, but haven't acted into it. Haven't agreed with the Kol Yahweh. Haven't said back into our, our brain and our, our body and our community, this is the reality of God. We've, we've sometimes talked, like, in, in Jacob's office, we've talked about if tra- trauma does this to ourselves and our bodies, what does trauma do in our community? And as Elaine was saying, the, the, we can mitigate the um, trauma of childhood uh, experiences through those ways. We can, we can stand and declare the Kol Yahweh the reality that, there, that this community has been offered deliverance, that this community is a safe place because of the presence of God in this community. This community is, it may be traumatized by poverty, but God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we can declare that as a prophetic repetition of what God's word has been saying from the beginning of the foundation of the, of of creation as the Kol Yahweh rumbles over us. So this morning as we come to take communion, I want you to take that, take that element and, and, and listen for a bit. Listen for the Kol Yahweh. Listen to what God would say to you through the elements of what he did for you and what is reality in the midst of our trauma. Father God, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Lord, we we remember your body experiencing much trauma. We remember the way that it was beaten and we remember the, the, the stripes left by the whips that, that were for our healing. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever I eat this bread and I drink this cup, I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we proclaim it. We repeat what you have said, that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again, that he holds us in his hands and that we are healed and safe and loved. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. 
thank you, God, for your strength that you demonstrate in creation, even when we're really broken. We don't know why. We don't need to necessarily know why. We just need to know that you have wholeness for us and our trauma. You have redemption in our lives. God, we love you. And we're so grateful for your love in every single area of our beings, in our relationships, in our physical bodies, in the way we exercise, in the way cancer runs through our society, and trauma and brokenness continually, continually happen. You have a big, big heart that can handle it all, and we love you, God. And we trust you with our brokenness, God. Amen. I just want to read you uh, a psalm that you can use as a declaration. There are a lot of them. Um, Read the psalms. They're just, I mean, there's so much declaration of who God is. Um, This is one of my favorites. I don't have my glasses, so bear with me. Uh, Psalm 91 He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will protect you. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Just listen to these words, guys. If you have brokenness, listen to these words and let them be yours. Read these verses. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you. He will cover you. He's going to guard and protect you. And under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield. He will not be afraid. You will not be afraid of the terror by night. I'm pretty sure that most of us in this room have experienced terror by night of our own selves or the thing by us or the fear, the thing lurking at the door. Whatever it is, we've experienced that terror and it eats us alive. It's terror. And that alone is trauma. And our response to that thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right, but it shall not approach you. Nothing can touch you. I mean, guys, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. This is God speaking to you. Now I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He is the God who speaks. That's his name. Use his name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy Elaine with a long life. I will satisfy Lindsay with a long life. I will satisfy James with a long life. I will satisfy Tom. Your name, that's for you. He will give you a long, beautiful life. And this life that we live right here, we can't forget the authority, the authorship. I don't want you to think authority like God's, God's going to do the thing and manipulate. He will write your story. He's the author 
of your life. And when you're super broken and you don't know why you were abused as a child, or you don't know why your, your child is now an alcoholic, you don't know why your life is falling apart or the things that you've experienced have happened. I'm not here to explain why. Peace beyond the understanding, right? That's in scripture. Let's step into the peace, into the voice of what God is speaking over us. And let's start to work toward wholeness, right? Don't you want to be whole in this place? If you are fighting through a trauma, you are fighting through a suffering. We're going to continue to talk about suffering because it matters to look at somebody in the face and speak dignity in their suffering, to recognize that they're a human being, to, to go to the table on Wednesday and sit with broken people who are willing to help other broken people because they're starting to realize I matter somewhere in this earth. I matter. And if it's only at that table, if it's only in your workplace, if it's only at the grocery store, wherever you go, speak life because you might be the only voice of God is mighty, whatever that is, or rest in the shadow of this God who he's writing your story. He will guard you and he will give you rest and he will give you whatever it is. When those things pop in your heart and your mind when you're with a random person at the grocery store, let God use you to speak his word of life. You might be the only voice telling someone whatever it is you're going to tell them. That might prevent them from suicide. That might suck them out of their depression. We're here to repair the world. We're part of, we've been given the voice of God. We've been given now the authority to speak life and wholeness. We have to take part in that. I love everything you shared. It was just the, 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 the moment of like, you need to just stop and say, I need help. I, I, I read recently, um, actually a while ago, and we were just talking today, Lindsay and I, about um, how God will accept you in your unacceptability. Don't worry about your condition. Come before God. He will accept you if no one else will and he will speak life into you. That's grace. Grace isn't something that we've earned because of who we are, because of what we've now done, because of what we proclaimed. Grace is, it's not just enough. It's, Andy Stanley says it's more than enough. And it's not because of anything except for he wants to do it. Okay? So in your brokenness, accept his grace and his wholeness. Let's work toward helping others accept that because God just wants to do it. That's what he has for you.